from ARUP Laboratories on the campus of the University of Utah. Welcome to the LabMind Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Jackson. Today is Friday, the 17th of March, 2023. I'm pleased to welcome Susan Edgerlin as our guest on LabMind today. I should say Dr. Susan Edgerlin because today's topic was actually inspired by her recent doctoral dissertation entitled, Communicating the Value Contributions of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine to Healthcare Administrators. But before I get to the intro, I need to first acknowledge that this is also our annual Lab Week episode. This year's Lab Week theme is Saved by the Lab, which is a perfect fit for today's topic. In laboratory medicine, we save patients, not necessarily through emergency surgery or stopping bleeding, but rather by integrating effectively into clinical processes and improving the overall quality of care. In other words, we save patients by improving the performance of the overall healthcare system, which may not sound quite as exciting as surgery or emergency care, but it's what we do and we're really good at it, and that's how we save patients. Unfortunately, as Susan Edgerlin's research shows, and as we're going to discuss in a few minutes, hospital executives don't always recognize all of those things that we do. So to introduce our guest, Susan Edgerlin completed her undergraduate degree in medical technology from Bowman Gray School of Medicine, and later completed both a master's degree and then a doctorate in business administration and healthcare administration from Liberty University in Virginia. So Susan Edgerlin, welcome to LabMind. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. First of all, I'd like to ask about the motivation for this research project. You know, as you started thinking about doing a doctorate in business administration and had to come up with a research project, I'm assuming that you reflected back on your many years of experience in clinical laboratories, but what was it about that experience that made you want to study communication? I come from a rural background in Kentucky and West Virginia, and to be honest, I had two grandfathers that couldn't read. So the fact that I decided to advance my career left me with a lot of unknowns. I didn't have the knowledge or the money to decide what direction to take. So I took my first job working in the emergency room as a registrar. And from there, I learned about the laboratory. I naturally gravitated to it because I really liked the sciences. I learned about a laboratory medical technology program in North Carolina and decided that sounded great. I went into it and I've loved it ever since. Now, decades of experience, and I'm looking back at my career, I'm thinking of the many times that I've heard someone say, we have no idea what you do. My family says that, you know, my community says that. If people see me in a white coat, they'll say, oh, you must be a nurse. So many times the laboratoriums themselves will say, no one knows what we do. and. I've heard that so many times that I wanted to know, is that really true? Does no one really know what we do? Yeah, I think a lot of us can really relate to that. And I can totally relate to what you're saying with friends and family. And I also struggled to try to communicate what I do for my day job. But if you think of other audiences, it seems like hospital leadership is a particularly high stakes audience. We really need them to understand what we do if we're going to have a good working partnership there. Did you have any experiences over your first couple decades of laboratory experience that made you wonder what those hospital administrators are thinking? Most laboratory professionals are working at the bench and they really don't go outside of lab. And so all these decisions are being made and pushed down, but without necessarily input from the laboratory. 
I've wondered, what do hospital administrators know about the laboratory? I know we think that they don't know. And then I went to the literature and I saw that statement many times from many laboratory professionals, physicians, pathologists saying the hospital administrators don't really know what you do. And then the next topic, value-based healthcare, came in, and I wondered if laboratory is going to be valuable in value-based healthcare, but hospital administrators have no idea what we do, that's a problem. So whom did you interview, just in terms of roles, titles, that kind of thing? In order to understand what hospital administrators know, I needed to interview them. And then I needed to interview laboratory directors to see their perception of value and how they communicated that to the hospital administrators. So I visited four hospitals ranging from 120 to 550 beds. I interviewed three hospital executives, three laboratory medical directors, and three laboratory administrative directors. And what did you expect to find? So before you did these interviews, what were your best guesses as to what kinds of things you'd be hearing? Well, having the experience in laboratory, I knew that the things that laboratory did, which were valuable, like our turnaround time, I knew that that would be noticed. So I expected that one. What was unexpected is that hospital administrators could not say how the laboratory aligned with strategic objectives that they had made. They knew about laboratory quality and they knew about laboratory turnaround time. I had one hospital administrator tell me that if the ordering provider is happy, then the lab must be doing a good job, right? And that was coming back as question like, wow, I really don't know if laboratory does a good job. I'm not sure. It was certainly enlightening. I didn't expect that. They were also not convinced that laboratory outreaches would be of any value to the hospital. Yeah, that's an interesting one too. So let's come back to that one in a minute. When I was starting to read your dissertation, I have to say that I had a particular stereotype and I was expecting that you were going to say that the administrators focused mainly on finance and cost reduction. Was that a theme? No, hospital administrators were not really looking at cost. They were more concerned with productivity than cost, and they were concerned about provider satisfaction. If their providers were happy, then laboratory must be doing a good job, and the providers would be more willing to practice at their hospital. So the provider satisfaction piece makes a lot of sense to me. They really are our direct customers in a lot of ways. Weren't a couple of the hospital side leadership actually chief medical officers? Yes, two of them were chief medical officers. One had a background in quality, and one was a chief medical officer who got invited to a laboratory stewardship committee. He said that that was extremely enlightening to him because he had no idea that providers just order too many tests. And he did not understand about being able to systemize laboratory contracts across multiple labs. So he got to be involved in that. Interesting, because I would think that the doctors on the front line would be aware of this idea of overordering and actually the burden that it places on them because they have to end up sorting through all these lab results before they can discharge their patients. You mentioned that productivity was one of the things that came up in these interviews, but not costs maybe in a more comprehensive way. Is that what you were saying? 
Well, there was a budget made that hospital administrators needed to go by, and as long as they met their budget, they were assumed as doing their job. The question was not asked, what cost savings initiatives do you see? Hospital administrators were not asking for that information. Now, when I probed a little bit with the laboratory administrators, they knew of some cost savings. But because they had not been asked, they didn't bring those forward. So it wasn't necessarily holding them back from doing the work, but the hospital was unaware of the benefit. Right. That's a little bit concerning. But I guess we could turn that around and say there's an opportunity for better communication going forward. So when you talk about hospital administrators primarily thinking in terms of turnaround time and quality, do you think that it's possible that that might be because on the laboratory side, those are really the two terms that we've used to talk about our value? And are there opportunities to expand on that? Yeah. So I think laboratory administrators would do well to adopt their language to the language of hospital administrators. Speak in terms of value-based care. As this tide is turning and we're looking more at value-based care, this is an opportunity to change how we speak. Let's come back to the other theme that you brought up, this idea of value-based health care. That term is really throughout your dissertation. How did you define that term? Value-based healthcare is a hot topic. The standard equation that's often given is value equals quality over cost. But what does that mean from a patient lens? And what does that mean for the laboratory? When I looked at the literature about what patients value, I found that they value having access to their laboratory results. They value readability of reports that make sense to them and tell them next steps. They like pleasing atmospheres when they're being cared for. They need to feel safe. These are things that patients value. Doctors value positive outcomes for their patients. It makes sense to me that the outcome for the patient would be the top level goal for these doctors. When they're working with a department like a clinical laboratory in the course of delivering healthcare, how do you think that doctors think about their expectations of the lab? From the provider aspect, they would like to be able to place an order and to know what they're ordering, to understand the name of the order, and to get the result back timely. So maybe some of the frustrations might be anything that interferes with the ordering process, anything that makes it more confusing. Is that sort of your sense? Yes, that's the sense I have. What providers are not aware of related to laboratory is cost. So some years ago, pharmacy decided to do pharmacy and therapeutics, and they have a dollar amount in their formulary to help guide providers on appropriate use of antibiotics, for instance. Laboratory really hasn't got there yet. It's tricky, but it does ring true to me that, that clinicians would care about that. They may just not have easy ways of getting the information. Right. So one of the things I found in the stewardship committee that the chief medical officer that I interviewed attended, he told me that providers were unaware of how much test costs and that if it was going to be an impact to the patient, they would appreciate knowing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's really common for patients to have to pay for a lot out of pocket. And I'm sure that the doctors hear from those patients asking, how much is this test going to cost us? Right. So those are direct costs. Also, when I think about the laboratory as a business, I think about 
the value chain. And in the value chain, there's many different ways to impact cost, whether it be customer service, efficiency, effectiveness. The processes are what improve the overall costs. So I'm thinking of utilization. You could be efficient in your process and effective with your result of what's being ordered. But is it medically necessary? Is it going to help the patient? So I think this value-based healthcare is putting on the lens of what benefits that patient. And excess testing is not going to benefit the patient, for example. Correct. And it will drive up costs. The volume clogs up the laboratory. It slows down the result reporting for all of the necessary tests. Let's get back to the point that you brought up about laboratory outreach. Hospitals running essentially small businesses in their community offering testing to the clinics and the doctors in the area. This is pretty common. It seems like most of the laboratories that we work with have programs like this. And I'm assuming that you've had experience over the years with some of these outreach programs. Yes. So I found in my interviews that the hospital administrators were not convinced that this was a benefit in any way. It was outside of the business practice of the hospital. It was an additional cost and an additional something to manage, and they didn't really see it as profitable. There is benefit to the outreach. Not only is there additional value in having community-based results available within your system to share with providers, but there is some financial gain as well. There are a lot of fixed costs of having a laboratory, and if you can spread that across offering testing out to the community... We've certainly seen a lot of hospital laboratories gain financial benefit, but I like that you started off by talking about the clinical benefit as well, keeping those results within the system. Right. And that will be important toward population health as we're starting to look at, say, the population of hemoglobin A1C on the south side of town. Is that particular demographic have a higher hemoglobin A1C and what do we do about that as a community? This question, why would hospital administrators not understand these things? And I think you sort of hinted that it's sort of outside of the types of operations they're familiar with. Is that your hypothesis? I think a lot of hospital administrators are physicians or have experience as a physician providing direct care or are nurses who are provided care. I'm not sure that they have a lot of experience outside of patient care areas looking at business, especially the laboratory, because I go back to the original statement, no one really knows what we do. You know, every hospital has to include an outpatient pharmacy. You'd think that that experience might clue them into the fact that you need to be serving the community, but maybe they don't make that connection. You've hit on a key disconnect. I think laboratory is just now getting to the point of expanding. You know, 20 years ago, pharmacy expanded with PharmD. This was a educational higher equivalence to help bridge the gap. Laboratory is just beginning to see that there is a gap between the pathology provider and laboratorians. There needs to be higher level education and expansion of skill set. So it sounds like maybe you're referring to DCLS programs. In what ways do you envision laboratory professionals engaging more directly into this clinical space the way, say, pharmacists do? 
this is a new field, and there are only three schools in the United States that are performing this. There's UTMB in Texas and Rutgers in New Jersey, and Kansas also has a DCLS program. I think by expanding their knowledge of clinical care, you are helping the laboratory professionals be able to develop algorithms for how reflexive testing needs to be performed and whether or not that testing is advantageous. They can also educate providers so they can have clinical conversations with providers that are ordering some esoteric genetic tests. The DCLS closes a gap in healthcare and allows the laboratory to be at the direct side of patient care. Having laboratory present in making those medical decisions will improve the value to the patient. And another area of engaging on the hospital side of things that comes up a lot in your dissertation is the role of interdisciplinary committees. Could you comment on that a little bit? To what extent have you seen laboratory professionals participating on hospital committees as opposed to, say, groups from nursing or pharmacy or other areas? Yes. So laboratorians are varied in their skill sets and their degrees. Some are specialized. Some are extremely knowledgeable about blood bank and transfusion. Others are very knowledgeable about infectious disease and microbiology and PCR molecular testing. These High-level laboratorians need to be involved in the committees in the hospitals to present their expertise. So when we think of nursing as a comparison and the fact that there are commonly a lot of nurses on these hospital-level committees, is it the nursing supervisors and chief nursing officers and the folks that top level of the hierarchy in nursing that are participating in committees? Or does nursing do a better job of placing the frontline nurses in these opportunities? So on most hospital committees, there are several nurses, whether it be the charge nurse, the unit clerk, where's laboratory? You know, we're not presented on those committees. So I think this is an opportunity. If laboratory is going to increase their value, reach pay equity for the same amount of education, then laboratories need to be presented on these committees and sharing their knowledge. In most of the interviews that I did, the laboratory administrative director attended these hospital committees, but it wasn't the laboratory professionals who were most knowledgeable. Now, I did meet one very engaged administrator who said, I am certain that the people working at the bench know more about this than me, so I really need them to be on those committees. And I thought, what a wonderful way to add value to the laboratory field and profession is to value their knowledge and bring them to the table to help make these decisions that committees make for operation and patient care. This does sound like a really good opportunity area for laboratories, particularly if they haven't been placing their laboratory professionals on hospital-level committees. I wonder if that could also have benefits in terms of just more visibility. Absolutely. So we have phlebotomists that go out and draw blood, and that's basically the only visibility factor for a laboratory in a hospital. Once that blood comes back into the lab, no one else is seen. The testing, the result just magically shows up in the computer. I think by taking the scientists that are working on the bench and putting their knowledge base into these committees, 
we're improving the value of our profession and showing the value of our profession. Yeah, I really love that. We have some great phlebotomists and we love our phlebotomists and some of them get a lot of awards for being collaborative and helpful and patient friendly. But if that's the only group that's getting visibility, then clearly we're missing an opportunity. Yes. I'm thinking entirely about how to bring value from every aspect of the laboratory by tying in the phlebotomist to the HCAP scores and then having customer service skills to improve their skill set was able to help the hospital administrator see that we do contribute to patient care and HCAP scores. Phlebotomists can also play a role in high-risk patients, making sure that the trash cans moved out of the way, that the bed rails are put up, that the TV button is in their lap before they leave. These were things that they could do, and if trained to do so 100% of the time, we add value. So your research was conducted, included the period of time that was really the worst parts of the COVID-19 pandemic when there was clearly you know, enormous stress in hospitals. Do you think that laboratories are any better appreciated post-COVID stress than laboratories were beforehand? Do you think there was an effect of COVID on the role of laboratories and the perception of laboratories in the healthcare system? Certainly, COVID has been extremely hard on everyone in healthcare. I'm going to say especially laboratory because of the volume of testing, the risk factors associated with doing those tests, the back orders of supplies, and being able to provide results effectively and efficiently, whether or not those results were trustworthy. So yes, laboratory had to play a big role in that. Interestingly, one of the laboratory administrative directors that I interviewed said that it wasn't until I started reporting out the total volume of tests and the number of positives that we were seeing that people started asking questions from the laboratory. They wanted to hear more from us. So it sounds like there might be some positives that came out of this in terms of people appreciating the lab. Is that an optimistic way to read this? Well, I think it definitely showed some gaps. So another example, I'm thinking of the administrator who told me that when there was frontline incentive pay, it was given to nursing. But no one thought about the lab. No one thought about the fact that we were actually testing those swabs and our phlebotomists were going in those patient rooms to draw blood. So it definitely showed a gap and presented opportunities for improvement. Final question. I expect that a number of the individuals listening to this podcast will be in leadership positions in various laboratories. If you had to summarize your research into one or two main lessons for laboratory leaders, what would those lessons be? After decades of experience, I can say that laboratory is in a changing time. For years, we have heard that laboratory is a dead-end field. You can only go so far. I think that time is changing, and it's really exciting times. I would say to laboratory leaders, know your value and share your knowledge. It takes a team of people to optimize healthcare, and laboratory plays an important role. And that's no longer a behind-the-scenes. It's time to move forward and 
be seen. If we think about physicians, they have tended to specialize. And the reason that they do that is because not one single person can know all things. Laboratory is the same. So we need to present the knowledge that we have to the rest of healthcare in order to improve care for the patient. So I think the key factor for me is disseminate the knowledge and the skill that you have. Don't be afraid to get outside of the laboratory. And if you're in an administrative role, create those pathways and opportunities to have your senior level laboratorians join in on the conversation that's happening at a hospital level. All right. Well, Susan Edgerlin, thank you so much for being a LabMind today. Thank you. LabMind is sponsored by ARUP Laboratories, a not-for-profit enterprise of the University of Utah and its Department of Pathology. Our producer is Cherie Peterson with audio engineering by Matteo Del Monte. You can also find other LabMind episodes at arup.utah.edu, along with an extensive video lecture library providing free CME and CE credits for medical and laboratory professionals. You can also subscribe to LabMind on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast app. If you do access LabMind through an app, I would encourage you to leave a rating and a review in order to help others find the podcast.